Hey everyone, this is Colin from Salt of the Streets, and welcome back to the audio blog post. Just a little housekeeping, I think, before we get rolling here. Uh, between me being sick and done making preps for the new addition to the family, who is due to arrive now pretty much any day, any second almost, we were unable to get a standard Salt of the Streets podcast out last week, so sorry about that. And of course, deepest condolences for anyone out there who's missing our beautiful voices. But hey, you know, uh, both of us stay pretty active on our social medias. You can always hit us up there. We are at Salt of the Streets on both Instagram and Facebook, and you can find Don and I directly. I am at Big Bird Offie on both Instagram and the Twitter machine. Don, of course, is at Salt of the Street on Twitter and at Alpaca underscore Donovan on Instagram. So when we last left off, the Reagan administration had just been stopped by the U.S. Congress from funding the Nicaraguan Revolutionary Collective known as the Contras. In this week's blog post, we're going to be exploring a little of the background of Iran and how it was that they came to be on the Reagan administration's radar in the first place, and how they would ultimately build an international relationship that would lead to the political controversy that we know as Iran-Contra. This week, Iran-Contra, Part 2, Iran. Last week, I mentioned my love for proper context when it comes to explaining and examining historical events. I would argue that the same is true when it comes to looking at political events, especially historically significant political events. This part of the Iran-Contra affair is one that really needs a serious setup to get at least a partial grasp of why things happened the way they did. And one quick side note I think I want to put in here before we really get rolling here. I think it's important to remember that everything here we kind of talk about today, and, and we're going to get into some of the background of how Iran came to be, kind of the Iran that we have today, is uh, is all very, very tied into the current geopolitical implications that we have playing out now with Iran. So just kind of bear that in mind as we go along and... Uh, You'll kind of note how I think some of these events that happened that we're going to talk about kind of tie into even today's current state of affairs. And so once again, we're going to jump back in time. But this time, we're going to go all the way back to 1953. In the United States, McCarthyism is in a full swing against communism. And all the way on the other side of the globe, Iran is going through some very interesting political changes as well. The nation of Iran has been an interesting place since the end of World War II. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's been a very interesting and beautiful place forever. Actually, as a fan of history, it is a massive point of interest to me. The nation has a democracy in place, and the elected prime minister of Iran is a man by the name of Mohammad Mossadegh. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, I apologize. He is a member of the political party known as the Iranian National Front, a technically pro-democratic group with some rather socialistic tendencies, we'll say. 
Now, he's been involved in government as a member of parliament for a number of years, but he has only been prime minister now for about a year. And in keeping with his party's strangely nationalistic, though still semi-democratically socialistic ideals, Prime Minister Mossadegh makes a move that will spell his ultimate demise. He nationalizes the oil industry, the economic cornerstone of the nation. Now, since World War II, the oil industry in Iran was not only mainly built, but also mostly run by Western nations like the United Kingdom and the United States. This move to nationalize the industry forcibly expelled these nations out and choked off their control of the oil. Enter Operation Ajax, or if you're from the UK, Operation Boot. This was a joint covert operation to overthrow the prime minister, carried out by the former Iranian monarchy with help from both the United States and the UK. It's important to note that this was the first time the United States has ever covertly deposed a foreign government during peacetime. Known to the West as the 1953 Iranian coup d'etat, Prime Minister Mossadegh was overthrown and a member of the former monarch was installed as ruler. His name was Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, a pro-American, anti-communist, monarchical dictator, better known to most of the world simply as the Shah. Under the Shah's rule, Iran marked the anniversary of 2,500 years of quote-unquote continuous Persian monarchy dating back to the founding of the Achaemenid Empire founded by none other than Osiris the Great himself. Unfortunately, we need to leave the Shah right here, and we're going to have to jump all the way up to the mid-1970s. By now, the Shah has been in power now for quite a while, and he has started to make some serious enemies, as most monarchical dictators often do. In 1979, the Shah left Iran on what he called a vacation, only he never really came back. He bounced around from one side of the globe to the other, but after a cancer diagnosis, which might have actually happened somewhere between 1974 and 1979, he reached out to the United States seeking to get some of the world's greatest medical care. Now, you might remember from last time, but at this point in time, President Jimmy Carter sitting in the White House, and he is very opposed to admitting him, given the growing unrest to his leadership back in Iran. But ultimately, he'll fold under pressure, primarily pressure given from none other than Henry Kissinger and David Rockefeller. Even before he was in the States, a religious leader by the name of Ayatollah Rohala Khomeini had seized power during the Iranian Revolution and established a totally new government, an Islamic Republic. Now, this new government and the revolutionaries were certainly no fan of the West, particularly they were not fans of the United States. Once they heard of the Shah's coming to the United States for his cancer treatment, their anger grew to the point of bursting. Soon, mass protests were being staged outside the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. And on November 4, 1979, a large group of them attacked the embassy, broke in, and took 63 people hostage. Before anyone really knew what was happening, they had taken three more hostages from the Iranian foreign ministry. This brought the total up to 66 hostages. In a few days, the Ayatollah had released a total of 14 of those hostages for a number of reasons, leaving a total of 52. 
And those 52 hostages would end up being held for a very long time, 444 days. The Carter administration tried numerous things to try and negotiate the release of the hostages. But even after a military extraction plan that failed even before it actually got started, Carter and his administration were left totally embarrassed in front of the American public, paving the way for his presidential challenger, Ronald Reagan. I think we all know how that election turned out. After the election, the Iranian government had started to feel the pressure from not only the American economic intervention, but also the international community at large. And only hours after President Reagan had been sworn into the office, the negotiation between the United States and Iran had yielded fruit, and the hostages were on their way home. And now that President Reagan had gained a little leverage with the Iranian government, we'll find out next time how he used that relationship to help his buddies down in Nicaragua, the Contras, on Iran-Contra, Part 3, Reagan and Iran. Thanks again, guys, for listening to this week's audio blog post. Uh, let us know what you think. Hit us up on the social medias, at Salton Streets on both Instagram and Facebook. Hit me and Don up on our personals. I am at Big Bird Offie on both Instagram and Twitter machine. Don is at Salt the Streets on Twitter and at Alpaca underscore Donovan on Instagram. Together, we are Salt of the Streets, and we are here to bridge the gap between people and information. See you next time.